Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans and we'll go Romans chapter 1. And if you have, if you have your Bibles on your phone, uh, you can do the program if you want, but it might behoove you just to keep your Bible open. We're going to stay in Romans for the most part, and uh, I'm going to open this up too, uh, because it's, uh, this is going to be a difficult message, uh, but a needed message, very needed. Um, one moment here, and get set up here. How many of you did the, the homework and, and read Romans 1? Anybody? A few of you? Okay, all right. So then we're going to read it right now <laughs> because many did not, and that's okay. Um, I want to position this in such a way that kind of sheds some light on this passage. Now, I have heard, I don't even know how many sermons I've heard on this passage of Scripture, and all of them, were point, being pointed towards the world and weaponized in such a way that, and of course this is my background, where I come from, the church that I come from, but definitely being weaponized to say this is where the world is and you don't want to go anywhere near that. And, and a lot of it was used to partition or keep people from that, and I understand that. Look, I have... Uh, I'm going to speak candidly today on, on certain things. And so uh, if I fly off the cuff or say something that offends you, um, yeah, I'm not really sorry, but no, <laughs> no I'm sorry, uh, but I, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And so if you hear one statement and isolate it and not listen to the whole message, you could, you could get sideways today. I'll say that. So listen to the whole message today. Take in everything. And we're going to we're going to jump around Romans because I think it's necessary because what Paul is saying here is not what we think he's saying. I mean it. And so it's going to take some time. But one thing that is for sure is that the culture is trying to sexualize our society, our children specifically. And, and I, don't, I don't really... Uh, what's funny to me is that I hear a lot of people making noise about that that don't have children. And that's what I think is, you know what I mean? That's what I think is interesting. All of the people who say, oh no, and that's not what they're doing and that's not what they're saying, they fit in a certain age bracket and most of them don't have kids. And they're saying what's happening or what isn't happening to children. And I'm like, well, when you have a child, you're gonna feel differently about that. And I remember saying things, you know, when I was younger about, well, no, and this is how it is. And I remember being a youth pastor without kids, you know? And I, and I felt like I had a pretty balanced perspective towards children, not really scripture, but well, that's a different conversation. But the point is, is like when you have kids, it, there's a shift in the atmosphere. You start understanding and seeing things from a, a whole new perspective. And then you go, well, you, you see yourself in them. They're like little mirrors walking around. It was like that meme I saw this week on Facebook. It was like, uh, you know, the dad was like, uh, the dad who's really upset at his daughter who's acting just like him, and it was that kind of thing. And I'm like, I can totally track with that. Some of the things that I get irritated at my children for without isolating any of them in this illustration, one of them in particular, it's exactly what I do. <laughs> exactly what I do. And my wife reminds me of that daily. <laughs> you know why... He or she is doing that? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I know, because that's how I am. So anyway, you, you feel and think and act differently. But I'll say this, like the decisions that we are making to educate our children, a lot of it, thank the Lord, my wife is an educator, but in general, we, we're doing a lot of that ourselves because of some of these concerns. But I also know that they're gonna need to experience the world. And so finding that balance Everybody has to figure that out on their own. But when you read scriptures like what we're about to read, you go, oh, that's a possibility for my kids. 
That's a possibility for my relatives and others to venture from that. And, and, and you really, it makes you think like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna compensate for that? And many of you, you're further down the road than I am. You know, Sarah and I have had a lot of conversations with our oldest. I mean, most of the conversations that you would have. We withhold nothing because we want, we want them to hear it from us. And we want to say to them, we know more about this than your seventh grade friends. <laughs> Trust me, a lot more. Come, let's have a conversation about some of these things. But unfortunately, a lot of parents and Many of you that are my age and older, you come from a generation where nobody talked about it. Nobody had anything to say about it and we were just like left in the wind to figure it out on our own, which that doesn't really work either, right? Uh, and so maybe some of you that are new don't even know this stuff is in the Bible. And you're like, what are you saying, pastor? What's about to happen today? <laughs> Take a deep breath, it's gonna be okay. Uh, but my point is, is what we're about to say, how we're about to approach this, this just isn't just the Bible that are, that's saying this, like it's all around us. How many know that there's been a shift in television? Like just think about where, where, what I watched in the nineties, right? Like how the nineties were, and we could back up further than that, but I'm going to talk about my own personal experience because I feel like a lot of it has happened in my lifetime. I mean, think about when I was young, there was no phones. There, there was, I, I, I remember when we went to the Gateway store and bought that huge computer. And then we had this like, and we put the AOL CD in the tray and sent it in. And we're like, I mean, that was neat. And then when we got cable modem instead of dial up and we're like, hang up the phone. Like, I remember that. Think about how far things have come just in the last 25 years. It's nuts. It's mind-blowing. I think the same thing for like, think about what was unacceptable. on. And, I, and don't get me wrong, like you could go to the, the movie, like we would go and rent the movies, right? We had a video store in town and you'd go Blockbuster, Rest in Peace, or Hollywood Video, or Silver Screen. That was my favorite. I like the Hole in the Wall ones. They had the best movies. And we'd go and we'd rent the VHS tapes. DVDs were so much better, right? But think about, the, and you had to rewind them. And if you didn't, you were rude. But if you, if you, you could go and, and rent content that wasn't really good and acceptable, right? Of course, and then there were other stores, many of you, no, just kidding. <laughs> I could just see the looks on your faces. Don't talk about it. <laughs> but but we, we could get a hold of that content, but it wasn't mainstream. And then it's like the one gay person on that show and everybody's like, oh, right? Does anybody remember that or was it just my family freaking out about it? Maybe it was just my family. I know I was raised in a bubble, but it was like, and then it was more frequent. Anybody notice? There was like never gay relationships on TV. And then it was like more and more and more. And now it's like everywhere. There's a whole section for them on Netflix. And, you know, it's most of the time we're watching shows and we're like, okay, there it is. You know, it's just like out front. And if you think about it statistically, and, and I'm going to stay there, right? Statistically, not going political or any of that stuff, but statistically, especially like the trans piece that's really, I mean, it's everywhere, right? The headlines, everyone sees it. Women's sports are being affected by it. It's such a small percentage. And then the, the Disney corporate folks this week talking about this new law in Florida, like we want 50% of our characters to identify as trans or homosexual in the coming ch children's movies. And I'm like, I don't really want any sexual talk happening, right? In any of those movies, because it's not time for that, right? Like, that's beside the point. And I mean, this week I watched her say it, one of their corporate execs on a call, leaked, right? I think it was leaked. But it's like, we want 50%. Well, but we're talking about 5% of the population. So there, there, the reality is, is that there is a skew 
of reality projecting one way, force feeding things into the culture because it's clearly an agenda. Does anybody see that or is it just me? I mean, that's what I'm seeing. And this is, what, this is how I feel with children. And I'm going, well, I'm just going to have to screen what my kids watch, even more so. And we've, we've, we've talked about it this week. We're going to tighten it up a little bit. Our goal is not to uh, become recluse. If that was the goal, I would not live in Maryland. I'd be out on a farm. I'd be trying to grow stuff, which doesn't really work very well for me. <laughs> yeah, I'd move to Florida or Texas. I don't know. But you get what I'm saying. If the goal was posterity here, then I wouldn't be going about it the way I'm going about it. That's not the goal. The goal is actually to expose ourselves to the culture. The goal is to actually me take my percentage and bring it into the conversation and say, here I am, rather than they, 5%, they, that worked. <laughs> anyway, they, they project into 50% of. I have to bring my piece to the table and talk about it. But here's what we've done. We've done a really bad job at that. We as the church have done a horrible job at communicating how we feel about folks that are all the letters, right? We've, we've done a very poor job at loving them. We've done a very poor job at even articulating to our children where we stand on some of these things. Right now, you guys look like you need to go to the bathroom <laughs> because I'm even remotely talking about it. Everybody's like on the edge of their seats. It's difficult, I understand. Think about how I feel right now in the middle of my sermon trying to navigate through this conversation as a whole. It's not easy, but it's necessary. And it's not good for you to just approve everything either and just be like, well, here I am, it is what it is. If you say it is what it is, you're making a mistake. It is what it is. No, no, that's, that's actually not intentional. And that's not what the Lord wants us to do. What about what Paul said about these things? Do you think Paul spoke to any of this? Yup. And that's what we're about to discuss. So buckle up, all right? Go to Romans chapter one. We ended with, and we really, oh man, it's 1053. Shouldn't have sang that extra song and that video and that. Anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll get through it. Maybe. Uh, if this is two weeks, it's two weeks worth. It's okay. We're covering a lot of scriptures, but here's what I want you to do. I, I'm going to mix it up here. I want to read the whole passage of scripture. And then uh, what we're going to do, we'll read the end of chapter one, and then we'll jump into the sermon, into the program, so you can kind of see where I'm coming from. But go to Romans. Last week, we finished up 16 and 17, which is the gospel, the power of the gospel. And so there's a shift, right? Look at verse 18, Romans chapter one, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now remember the context of this. Preaching to the house church, two types of people that he's trying to bridge the gap to. And does anybody remember who those two types of people are? Who's the first one? The Jews... And then the who? The Greeks, the Gentiles. Two types of people, and the Jews, remember, are coming back over 10 years from being expelled. They've got a chip on their shoulder. They don't really want to do life with the rest of them, but Paul is hammering this home, okay? That's very important to realize that that's kind of the case that he's building here. Verse 18, for God's wrath is revealed. I think he's speaking specifically to these Jews in this moment. It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them. What's he saying? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what he has what? Made. As a result, as a result of what? Of what God has made. As a result of what? Of what is clearly what? Seen. People are without what? Excuse. As a result of the way the Lord set this thing up, 
There's no one that has an excuse. Nobody. Let's continue. Um, trying to find it. 21. For the, thank you all. For though they knew God, don't miss this, they did not glorify him as God or as God. I said as God. How many Marvel guys we got here? Anyway, they did not glorify him. Squirrel. As God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became what? Worthless. And their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. He's describing the Gentile world right now. He's describing a group of people that have ignored the order that God made. They have selected things outside of that order and said, I'll elevate a reptile. I'll elevate an animal. I'll elevate uh, an, anything. And, and, and you see it in their idols. You see it in their structures. You see it in their temples. They're worshiping anything, right? This is what he's talking about. He's specifically addressing the Gentile world here exchanging the glory. Verse 24, therefore God delivered them over in their desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever, amen. There's a shift, keep going, right there. Verse 26, for this reason, does that continue the thought? Yes or no? The answer is yes. Does that continue the thought? Yes or no? Yes. Come on, stay with me, church. I only got a couple minutes and we got to get through it. For this reason, for what reason? All the things he just stated. Them switching uh, for creator or creature. I'll worship the thing instead of the thing who made it. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged, what's the next Natural. The way the Lord made it. It's clearly what? What am I pointing to? My what? Boys and girls, my eyes. It's, it's clearly what? Seen. Turn to your neighbor and say, clearly seen. All right. Now we're, we're cooking with grease here. Their women exchanged the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left what? Natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. What is, what is Paul saying? He's saying they wrecked themselves. Sexual diseases, things that were rampant, that plagued them because of their sexual promiscuity, right? They received that. Uh, look at the next uh, 28. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. That's why. Because they didn't acknowledge God, God delivered them over to what? A corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That almost seems like it doesn't quite fit in this discussion, does it? Senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Well, that was broad. Interesting. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to what? To die. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Here is the mistake that I've made in the past. We stop right there. Look at chapter two, verse one. What's the next word? Therefore. Therefore. Does that continue the thought? It, it does. You see what it's there for. Turn to your neighbor and say, therefore. therefore. So on and so forth. Furthermore, no, you don't have to keep saying those things. Everybody's like, so on and so forth. Furthermore. <laughs> this is why it's therefore, but watch this shift. My mind was blown. You ready? 
Therefore, every one of you who judges is without what? Huh. Everybody say, huh. Huh. Therefore, every one of you who judges, it seems like he just went from one group of people to what? Another. And there's there's two kinds of people here. The who? (laughs) The who. (laughs) The Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn who? Yourself, since you, the judge. Paul creates a character. It's, this is literary genius. In chapter two, he says, um, therefore, all of that bad stuff that I've just talked about, all of you who judge it, you're also without excuse. And this judge that's entered into the, the room, the courtroom, if you will, with this language, the judge has something to worry about as well. It's not just a one-sided coin where we identify everyone who does bad things and then there's us. Paul says, I'm talking to two different groups of people and I got something to say to both of you. And that's not what we have done as the church. What we have done as the church is we've said, it's us versus who? Them. Especially in this area. How many see in Romans 1, it talks about same-sex relationships. Does anybody see that? Yes or no? Yes, we see that. And, and, and frankly, this has been the extreme, the extreme point that we all put out, that we all are terrified of someone in our family. And I'm speaking of mainly folks that grew up in church. Because I think that the folks who grew up in church will identify most with the judge group. Would you agree? Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. But see, we, we don't read it that way. We read the end of Romans chapter one. Yeah, that's the lost and dying world around us. Yep, uh-huh. It's a good thing I'm going to church, so I, I ain't like them. Therefore, all of you who judge are also without what? Excuse. And, and just in case you don't agree that this is connected, what was the whole point in Romans 1.18 on? It was the fact that it's clearly what? And that they are without what? It's literally identical. They're connected, these same passages of Scripture. The, the, the chapter uh, setup and the chapter groupings here really mess us up. And remember, when this was written, it was a letter. Phoebe was standing in this house, house church reading it as a letter. There was no, okay, chapter 2, verse 1. That's us. We've done that later on. And so she says, therefore, all of you who are judging are without excuse. Now, pause, and, and we're going to the program. Romans 14, buckle up, okay? Remember, don't forget everything I just said. Are you gonna forget it? You're gonna forget it, aren't you? But you're without excuse, because I've already said it. Look at it, Romans 14, one through five, and I'm gonna run through the program. Look at this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you who I think these folks are. Who are the weak, is my first question. Who are the weak? Well, what do you mean the weak? We're getting there in the book of Romans, but I have to pull back the curtain a little bit and show it to you. Romans 14, one through five, it says this, welcome anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything while one who is weak eats only vegetables. So the weak person does what? Less. The weak person does what? Less. Paul identifies the weak person as one that eats only what? Vegetables, okay? One, verse three, who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not, what's the next word? Judge one who does. Judge and the judge from chapter two. This is a letter. It's all what? Connected. The one who eats less must not judge the one who eats what? Ertang. Okay, you with me? Who judge, verse four, who are you to judge another's household servant? Oh, I'm sorry, I missed a good spot. Verse three, and one who does not eat must not judge the one who does because God has accepted him. Ah, I missed that. The most important part in the whole passage. Why shouldn't the one who eats only vegetables judge the person who eats everything? Because God has what? Ah, 
God accepted them. Why? Because Romans 1, 16 and 17 says the gospel is the power of God to who? Everyone. That's the whole point. The crux is that in this house church, you got Jews who are Torah abiding Jews and there were dietary laws. They didn't eat certain things. It's called eating kosher, right? It's still here today. And those that eat kosher, Paul is saying you can't look down your nose on the person who's over there smashing that medium rare steak just because you know you want it. Those Gentiles, I bet they're gay too. Do you see what's happening? That's why Paul brings that into the discussion. You don't believe me yet, but you will. Hang tight. Verse four, who are to judge one another's household servant? Because his own Lord, he stands or falls and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day, verse five and 14. One person judges one day to be more important than another, the Sabbath, right? One person judges one day to be more important. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Here's what Paul says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law blameless, doesn't say to them, everybody keep, keep the Shabbat. Everybody keep the Sabbath. He didn't do that. He said, let everybody be convinced in their own what? The argument here is, should Gentiles also be Torah abiding? If they're gonna come into this faith, they should probably keep Torah. That's, that's what's at, does anybody see that? Yes or no? Not making it up. Verse 10, chapter 14, verse 10. Hurry, stay with me. Y'all keep making me stop along the way. That's what's making us go longer, okay? Verse 10, but you, who do you judge, your brother or your sister? Remember that language from the first week? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? Same passage. For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 13, it says this. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. Paul said, instead of judging them for being different, why don't you agree on certain things that don't cause each other to be upset? Uh huh. Verse 22, it says this, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. So, this is vital for us moving forward in the book of Romans. The first thing is for us to understand the Jews, I'm submitting to you this morning, the Jews were the weak brothers and the Gentiles were the strong. He used similar language in our first Corinthians study, if you remember. The Jews are the who? The Jews are the who? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're weak. <laughs> the Jews are the who? The Gentiles are the who? They're the strong ones. Now, who are the judges? You know where I'm going with this, right? Do you know by now? Look back at our text, Romans chapter two, verse one. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. You condemn yourself since you, the judge, do the same things. What? Paul is saying their behavior is actually putting them in the same place as all those really bad things at the end of Romans one. Interesting. Look at verse 17 in chapter two. I know you don't believe me yet, but look at this one. Now, if you call yourself a what? A Jew. Is the judge the Jew? Yes or no? Is the judge the Jew? Yes or no? Yeah, turn to your neighbor and say, yeah. <laughs> say it just like that. And now say it like this, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Trying to wake you up here. That's my 90s self coming out. Come on. Little John, all right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if you call your, <laughs> verse 17, now if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, he removes all question. When he says the horrible state of affairs of the Gentile world in the end of Romans chapter one, he turns directly to the Jews in the room and he says, now you that are judges. 
And the end of that passage, he says, to you that are in the law, to you that think you're excellent, to you that think you're better than, do you hear what he's doing? How many see that? Okay, all right, maybe I'm still by myself. I've got more convincing to do, but I'll say this. It seems to be that the weak are the Torah-abiding Jews from Romans 14, multiple passage, multiple passages, saying the same thing that are tied into Romans chapter two, multiple passages. And the Torah-abiding Jew is seeking to judge a non-Torah-abiding Gentile. So if that's the conversation that all of these sexuality things were brought up in, then why why hasn't it been brought up like that in the past in the church? Why aren't we, why are we not talking about the horrible things in the world in light of how we are judging those things, how we are helping those things, how we are uh, trying to remedy those things? Instead, we don't. We just point the finger, don't we? It's easier to point the finger. It's easier to say, yeah, it's a good thing I'm not like them. And that's the opposite of what Paul is doing in this passage. Do you see it? Therefore, so how do we deal with it? Do we just condone it? Is that what Paul's gonna do? Paul doesn't condone it. Paul says the wrath of God is what? Revealed against it. And here's what I'm, here's what I'm my goal in today's message is this. I want to be more biblical in our approach to sin. I want to be more biblical in our approach to the world. Don't you, is there ever, has there ever been a greater time for us to be more biblical in our approach? Here's why I think there hasn't been a more important time, because it's everywhere. Do you think in Paul's day, it was as broadcast as it is today? Yes or no? I don't think it was because of media. It took a letter how long to get to Rome for them to read it? How long does it take to get a letter today? Is it faster or slower today than it was then? It's faster. Things are seen more. It's more prevalent. It's more prevalent today than it was than in the 90s. Remember when we had that discussion in the beginning of the message? Y'all were just snoozing through that intro, weren't you? Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. (laughs) Thanks, James. Appreciate that. It's very important. How many of you feel like, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you feel like, I just don't feel like I'm equipped to handle these hard issues? I just don't feel like I'm equipped to discuss these things with other people. I feel like I can't talk about them. That's what they want. That's what they want. They want Christians to feel like, well, um, we just not talk about that. Paul talks about it. He addresses it but he addresses it in such a way that he goes to the polar opposite side, which would be the Torah abiding Jew. That would make all of us, the Gentile, right? It would make us look like we don't even care about our faith. You know, we're just over there, chips and salsa, ain't no diet here, you know what I'm saying? And they're like, okay, someone tell the Gentile how to take his faith seriously. But Paul understood that it was context, that it was how they were raised, how they were steeped in it. And Paul also, which is what I'm going to show you, knows that God does not prefer one or the other. And this is where we get sideways. We actually think we're better than them. We actually think that we are closer to God than them. We actually think that it was easier to save us than it is to save who? Them. Do you see what I'm saying? You follow me? All right, let's just keep rolling. You ready? This is the guilt of the Gentile world. I'm submitting to you that this was the weak, the judge was the Torah-abiding Jew. How did Paul show this? Well, in verse 29, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Oh, let, let, me, let me share this with you. Let me share this with you. I skipped ahead too far. Yeah. I want want you to see this here. Look at verse number 14. Oh, no, no. Back up even more. Chapter 2, sorry. Look at verse number 6. Chapter 2, verse number 6. It says, he will repay each one according to his what? Works. Each one. Two sides of the coin. The Jews and the who? 
the Gentile. Verse number seven, eternal life to those who by persistence, listen, this is huge, who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil. Watch this. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. Look at verse number 11 and don't miss this. For there is no what? Favoritism with God. What is Paul doing? I just gave you the extremes of the Gentile world. I gave you the reasons that the Jews, the judge, will use to turn away from them. And I took the excuse and I put it on the table. I took what you think you don't even want to discuss. And here it is right in my letter. You can't avoid it. And here's what I'm going to say about it. I'm going to say that it doesn't matter if you're coming from your background or this background. There is no favoritism with God. He's trying to build this point. Look look at verse number 14. It gets better. So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law, the Torah, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. Verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their what? On their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. On the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. I wrote this, so there you have it. A Torah-abiding Jew and a non-Torah-abiding Gentile have the same opportunity to be delivered by grace through faith. Did you see that? Go back and read it this week, but I'm giving it to you right now. Paul says, look, the Gentile has a conscience that the Lord gave them. Remember the echoes from the end of chapter one. Even the heavens declare the glory of God. There's a thing called the natural order where a man and a wife uh, come together Husband and a wife or a man and a woman come together and they have a what? A baby. That's a natural order of a progression of a sexual relationship that produces something. Can we see that that's how it's designed to work? But today it says, nuh-uh. It's not designed that way. So my point is, is that we can all agree that there's natural biology that shows things. And here's what Paul is saying. This is so crucial. He's saying the natural order can speak to the Gentile. Watch this. Just like the law can speak to you. And every Torah abiding Jew in that room was like, what? Are you serious? You're gonna say that they have a relationship with the Lord through their good decisions, just like I do when I decide to keep the law? Paul's like, exactly. A hundred percent. Why? Because there's no favoritism with God. Oh my goodness. I don't know that you quite, I mean, even this week, I'm like, I don't think I quite understand the shift in the atmosphere that's happening with the Apostle Paul. Every Every Jew that spent their entire life doing and doing and doing and doing, Paul is saying, if you do that and you sin, guess what? You're gonna be judged just like if they make the wrong decision. It doesn't matter if you're living behind the law. You feel like the law is protecting you, but it's not. The Lord will judge the Jew and the Gentile. Therefore, mind blown, Therefore, when you come to Jesus and you accept him, he doesn't abolish the law, he fulfilled it. So therefore, when Jesus did everything that we couldn't do for ourselves, watch this, Torah abiding Jew, if you are honest with yourself, you realize that down through the ages, you have been in captivity, you have been in exile, and you were unable to keep every point of the law. Therefore, Torah abiding or non-Torah abiding, the judgment of God will be revealed against you if you choose to take a position in opposition of God. God is not a respecter of persons. This is huge. 
Why is it huge? Because it changes our perspective towards others. Here's what this is. This is the classic case of projecting your preconceived notions and Christian comfort blankets on someone else. That's what this is. How many have Christian comfort blankets? Does anybody know what that is? I've got many of them. As long as my kids stay in this range, I'm comfortable. I'm okay with maybe like them not cleaning their room, but I'm not okay with the sassy mouth, right? Both come from the same unrepentant heart, but one I can deal with and one I can't. I'm okay with a little bit of gossip and a little bit of slander in the church, but if a gay person walks in, it's done. That's a wrap. Do you see what's happening? But according to God, according to Paul, used for this letter, it doesn't matter. And go back and look at the list at the end of Romans 1. What matters is righteousness. What matters is someone follows the Lord and their conscience can reveal in them exactly what they are to do. So it doesn't matter if they're coming from a good background or a what? Bad background. They can be changed in a moment. And that, watch this, that little bit of time when they decide to incline their heart to the Lord, I think it's vitally crucial that we understand how to deal with that. And when we don't, when we sit in the seat of the scornful and when we're the judge, they never make it to the altar. They never make it to the decision to follow the Lord. Are you saying you're against homosexuality and relationships like that? Yes. Yeah, I I have to take that position in that stand. But here's the difference. I can accept anyone without approving of their lifestyle. I can accept them, I can love on them, I can care for them. Do, Do you think that anybody agrees on everything? No. If we, if we talk about it and if we deal with it and we think about it, we realize how hypocritical it is. We realize how judgmental it is. We're just scared out of our minds that that's gonna affect someone in our family. We're just scared. What is this gonna do to the church? It's God's church. Yeah, we have uh, boundaries. Yeah, we have bylaws. We have a constitution. We have things that we construct for the safety of our congregation, right? For decision-making. But what are we letting affect our evangelism? What are we letting affect our relationships? What are we letting affect our friend groups and our circles? We're so closed, closed, so tight, so close-knit that we don't allow anything else in. We're pretty much Torah abiding in our own way, aren't we? I just want to help you a little bit with this perspective. Number one, God does not condone sinful behavior of any kind. Sexual immorality or, watch this, pride. What's he doing? He's addressing the extreme end of the Gentiles and he comes right for the judge and he says, hey, you who are gonna judge and who are gonna say, if we let those knuckleheads in here that aren't keeping the Torah, what's gonna happen? What do you mean what's gonna happen? All of that filth is coming in. Paul is like, your perspective is affecting everyone. Your thinking that everyone has to abide by Torah is affecting the church is affecting the way they feel. They'll never come to Jesus if you're wrapping it in Jesus plus everything else. This is the power of God and it's his righteousness, not your own. It's Jesus plus what? Nothing. Do you see the perspective? We we can't let our constructs keep us from the world. We can't let our preconceived notions keep us from people. Because God, there's no favoritism with him. Mm. So God doesn't condone sinful behavior of any kind. God shows zero favoritism, neither should we. So how do we confront this? Look at verse six in chapter two. Here's where we are in the end of, we'll be wrapping this message up with a, just kind of an open altar call. There's so much meat here. Do you see this? I won't keep you long, but I want to finish this because we're right here in the thought. Here's the application to the message. Look at chapter two, verse six. It says this, he will repay each one according to his what? His works. Eternal life to those who who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. By wrath 
we'll stop right there in immortality. What you're gonna find is the more we study and get into the book of Romans, Paul is gonna try to show us a perspective of being conformed to who Jesus is. Paul is gonna try to get the, the Torah abiding Jew to focus on who Jesus is and what Jesus did for them. He's gonna try to get the lost Gentile that stumbles into the church drunk for the first time to focus on who Jesus is and what they did for them. Do you understand? This is about, and when you read that passage, you're like, oh, it's about good works. No, it's about being like Jesus. And he's gonna make that infinitely clear. But here's the first thing. How do we confront these things? Look, look at me, church. How do we do this in 2022? How, how do we draw a line of saying, I don't approve, but I love you? <laughs> how do we do this well? Number one, do right. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? How do we confront it? How do we be the church in 2022 when it's difficult, when there's some being persecuted, when others are trying to tear down who Jesus is? How do we do it? We do right. You do what you know what you need to do. It isn't about a smokescreen, but this is what we do. Trust me, because it's what the Torah-abiding Jews were doing. They were keeping the Sabbath and in their hearts, they were hating the Gentile. There isn't a space in your heart that you can hide from the Lord. God says, listen, their conscience can lead them to me just like your law can. What does that mean? It means you just need to do right. If we had Christians that loved their spouses and, and, and said this is what a good marriage looks like, instead of telling everyone how they need to live, they just need to do right and live the way they need to. If we had young people that valued purity and valued marriage. Yesterday I married a couple right here on this platform. Known them a long time. It was my privilege to be a part of that union but they were two young people that have worked hard to mirror their marriage relationship leading up to that moment to Christ and the church. How do we handle this? We don't handle it with a judgmental attitude, I'll tell you that. How do we handle it? We handle it by doing right no matter what. Here's, here's the thought. Do not justify your questionable behavior through comparison. I, I'm, this is it, this is where the rubber meets the road. How about all those people that are not like me? Uh-huh. What about all the stuff you watch that nobody knows about? Uh-huh. Here's what I'm saying. Before you talk about the world and all of their problems and all of their sins, all you need to do is talk to the Lord about your own spiritual journey. They'll see it. They'll understand. Why? It's because it's natural. We don't have to get in fights and explain biology on social media. Do you understand? Delete. You're the judge. You're ridiculous is what you are. <laughs> well, that's not nice. I can say that, okay? <laughs> Here's the letter being written. In our context and in our day and age, you're not helping anyone explaining your position. Just stand your ground. Teach your kids how to live and how to do what's right. Teach your kids how to live righteously. Teach your children that there is a difference between the holy and the profane. And teach them to love those that who don't live like them. It's not complicated. Yes, it is. Society is going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, because the church isn't doing right. Not because of what the world is doing, but because of what the church isn't doing. If you really care about the church growing, if you really care about our society continuing uh, in faith and growing the Lord's church, you'll do what is what? Right. It's so simple. Paul says, you that are righteous will inherit these things. Number two, love wide. Number one, do what? Number one, do what? Number one, do what? Turn to your neighbor and say, do right. Do right. Number two, love wide. <laughs> say it with me, love wide. Listen, stay with me. Love wide. Paul is trying to get them to reach across the aisle. Do you see it? 
He's trying to get them to reach across the aisle. What does your dinner table look like? Yeah, but we don't let them be members at our church. But do we let them at our kitchen table? We don't let them join. But do we let them join us for dinner? There's a difference. There's so much that we can do, but we're focused on the 5% of what we don't do. Does that sound like another conversation we've had in this message? You're doing the same thing that they're doing. You're judging them for their behavior and therefore you're not doing the 95% of what you can do with a lost and dying world and that's love them. Here's what you can't do. You can't be saved and be gay. First of all, I think that's a lie. Lie straight out of the pit of hell. Show me that in scripture. Go ahead and show it to me and I'll flip the script on you, but I'm ready for you whenever. Here's the point. There's so much that we can do with others who don't believe yet. There's atheists right now that I have in my life that I'm praying for, that I'm loving, that I'm extending a helpful hand as much as I can within reason. Why? I'm loving what? Wide. But I'm doing what? I'm doing what? Right. And I'm loving wide. This is how we do it, church. This is how we do it. All right. Y'all needed something. Number three, let God decide. This is it. I'm circling the wagons. In four minutes, you're gonna be getting in your cars and leaving the church, headed for lunch. And if you're still making up your mind who's believers, who, who are not believers and who are, who are gonna come to Jesus and who aren't, you miss the whole point of the message. Let God decide. You don't know what that person will believe in one year. You don't know what prayer and fasting will do in that person's life. I've been around the block at this point in time. I've been in ministry a long time. We graduated Bible college in what, 2009? We've been in ministry a little while. We've seen people come full circle. Even before then, my own father. You have no clue what God is gonna do. What he's trying to tell the people is that you have no clue, Torah abiding Jew, judge, weak person, that God may change them in the moment in a blink of an eye such as were you I was dead in my transgressions but God rich in mercy we need to repent church we need to repent why because we're the judge why because we're loving skinny (laughs) I only love people that look like me act like me What are you scared of? The Lord might change them. Just do what? Right. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week and God bless.